I've made this observation before, but I have noticed a change in our small talk, a change in our conversational greetings. Used to, you'd ask someone, how are you doing? And they would say, fine, good, okay, or something like that. And people still respond that way. But I've noticed two other words beginning to compete with those words as responses to that question. Because now you ask someone how you are doing, and more often or not, you will hear them say, busy, tired. Don't our lives often move at an unsustainably frenetic pace? And aren't most of us here this morning? Don't most of us live with at least a low-level state of exhaustion? I am very aware this morning, not just from drooping eyes during the sermon, but through conversations and through my own experience, that we gather here as a people who are worn out, running on empty. And that weariness is not just the result of lacking physical rest, though there is plenty of that. It is not just the result of lacking physical rest. That weariness is also the result of a spiritual, emotional, moral, relational restlessness. We sit here drained because in our lives there is this undercurrent of dissatisfaction with the way things are in our relationships in our lives, in our world. We sit here tired out because of those voices outside of us and inside of us who are always saying to us, not enough. You don't have enough. You haven't done enough. You aren't enough. We gather here this morning as a people who are worn out and tired. But though our conversations may have changed, that exhaustion isn't new. Jesus perceived it in the people around him. And so he calls to them, and he calls to us this morning, and he says, bring it. Bring your weariness. Come to me with your exhaustion and find rest for your souls. What I want us to do this morning is to become aware of our deep exhaustion and then to hear the invitation of Jesus. And I want us to hear the invitation of Jesus by asking two questions. What is the rest that Jesus offers And how is that rest possible for us? So first of all, what is this rest that Jesus offers? Isn't it interesting that Jesus doesn't say, if you're tired, come and lay on my couch. If you're tired, come to me and take a nap. No, Jesus says, if you're tired, come to me and take a yoke. Now, what's a yoke? Well, it's an instrument of work. It's an instrument of effort, 
of straining. A yoke was used to attach an animal, a beast of burden, to a plow or to some other farming implement. And so why can Jesus say that rest is found in an instrument of work? What is restful about a yoke? Well, we need to understand that the yoke was used during this time as a common image, a common description of the relationship between a teacher and a student. The teacher and student were yoked. And when I say teacher, I don't mean lecturer in a college classroom dispensing information. I mean someone who is laying out, who is presenting a holistic vision for the good life. For how life should work, how the world should work. And when I say student, I don't mean someone just absorbing and regurgitating information on a test. I mean someone who is willing to take on the vision of the teacher and attempt with fellow students to live out that vision for the good life. So Jesus is saying, you will find rest by taking on my teaching my yoke, by taking on and attempting to live out my vision for the good life. That's where rest is found. Jesus' vision that he shows us in places like the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 to 7, which we considered a few months ago. Like he showed us last week in his teaching in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says rest comes when you work at living out my vision for the good life. But still the question remains, why is that restful? How can that be restful? I mean, we saw in the Sermon on the Mount how Jesus' claims, Jesus' demands on our lives are incredibly rigorous. The summary of his teaching in Matthew chapter 10 is, if you want to follow me, you need to take up your cross. You need to take up the instrument of violent, shameful harm. You need to take up this image of radical sacrifice. That's the yoke. The yoke is the cross. How can Jesus say that that is restful? We need to realize that the yoke was not only a common image in Jesus' day, it was also a common image in the Old Testament. The yoke was a common image in the Old Testament of God's law. God's law was God's yoke, his vision of the good life that he placed on his people. And so what Jesus is doing with this image is he is equating his teaching with that. He is saying, my teaching is the full expression, not just of one more philosophy. It is the full expression of God's vision for the good life. God's vision for how your life and how this world should work. As he says in the Sermon on the Mount, he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, to bring it to its fullness. 
So it's not surprising then that after Jesus invites us to the yoke in chapter 11, we turn to chapter 12 and find him talking about the law. And he talks about one particular part of the law, the Sabbath commandments. The command to rest on the seventh day, and then that was multiplied throughout the Old Testament in other patterns of rest. And what Jesus shows in his response to his critics, those who are criticizing him and his disciples for exerting effort on the Sabbath day, Jesus shows them that they had misunderstood the fullness of God's commandment. They had misunderstood the full intention of God's purpose for the Sabbath. And so his disciples pick food in order to address their hunger. Jesus exerts the effort of healing this broken man. And what Jesus is saying is that these actions, feeding the hungry and healing the broken, are not exceptions to the Sabbath. They are the full expression of the Sabbath. This is what God intended with this teaching, with these laws. Think about where the Sabbath came from. It came from God himself resting on the seventh day of creation. Not because he was tired, but because he was happy. He was satisfied. He was enjoying the full goodness of what he had made. And so he puts in place this practice as one way to begin to move people back to that back to the full goodness of what he has made, back to the happiness and to the satisfaction of his work, of his creation. And this is what Jesus is doing by helping his disciples address their hunger, by healing this broken man. He is bringing about the full reality of the Sabbath. And that's what his teaching, that's what his yoke does, not just with the Sabbath, but all of the things he talks about. His yoke, his teaching is realigning us with the design of our maker. His yoke, his teaching is reconnecting us to the purposes of God for his creation. And that is why his yoke is rest. It is the rest of a reset broken bone. Something that has been out of place put back into place. It's the the rest of dissonance becoming harmony. Jesus' teaching, his yoke, is rest because he is harmonizing our lives with the purposes of our maker. It's like this. About this time of year, many of us are dreaming of a beach vacation. And so I want you to think about two different beach activities. I want you to think about the difference between running on the sand and floating in the ocean. Both activities take effort. Right, But running on the sand, we feel as difficult. It is straining. It is striving. Why? Because the sand is working against our effort. Now, floating on the ocean still takes effort, but we don't feel it as straining 
as striving. We feel it as repose. Why? Because instead of the sand working against us, we are working with the water. That is what allows us to float, and that's why we feel it as repose, because we are working with the water in our efforts. The teaching of Jesus, the yoke of Jesus, moves us from running on the sand to floating in the ocean. He transfers us from a life that is in friction with what God wants, with what God has made, to a life that is harmonized, that is working with the design of the maker, that is moving with the grain of the reality that God has brought into being. Is that how you see the teaching of Jesus? as he makes radical claims on your time, on your money, as he speaks to your anger, to how you react to those who threaten you, as he constrains your sexuality, is that how you view the teaching of Jesus? As rest, as resetting the bone, as returning you to the flow of what God wants, and what God has made. But even if we see Jesus' teaching in that way, we have made the problem worse. Because if that is rest, how could any of us ever achieve it? How could any of us ever live up to that ideal of being realigned with the purposes of God. And so we have to ask, secondly, if that's rest, how is rest possible for us? When Jesus says in chapter 11, verse 28, I will give you rest, that is not the first time that that sentence has occurred in the Bible. That sentence also occurs in Exodus chapter 33. God had been giving his people his yoke, his law, his vision for their lives. But before he was even done with that, they profoundly failed to live under that yoke, to live in line with what God wanted. They had made and worshipped the golden calf. And so God comes to Moses and he says, I'm done. I am out. I am going to, I'll send my angel and I'll help you get to the promised land, but I'm not going with you. My presence will not go with you because my holiness will end up consuming you. And do you remember what Moses does? Moses refuses to accept that from God. He intercedes and he prays and he says, No way. If you're not going with us, we're not going anywhere. And how does God respond to the intercession of Moses? Well, he relents, and he shows his mercy, and he says, Exodus 33, verse 14, I will go with you, and I will give you rest. So how is rest possible? 
rest is possible when God goes with his failing people. So please notice in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 32, the call to rest, the invitation to rest comes after what? It comes after Jesus praying, Jesus interceding and showing us his unique relationship to the Father and telling us, showing us that he is the unique revelation of the Father. You see, after that conversation with Moses, God reveals his glory, his presence to Moses in a new way. But Jesus is saying that he in himself is a better revelation. He is a fuller, greater revelation of the glory of God than even Moses received. And because of that prayer, because of who he is, he can say, I will give you rest. Not because it's easy to obey him, but because of who he is. Because he is the gentleness, he is the lowliness of God drawing near to the profound failure of his people to live under the yoke and saying still, I will go with you. Jesus is God saying to us, as we struggle, as we stumble in our attempts to live under the yoke, to live in line with what God wants. Jesus is God saying to us, I will go with you. And because of that, you can find rest for your souls. That's why in chapter 12, as Jesus has these conversations about the Sabbath, he brings up the seemingly random story about David. David fleeing Saul, and he was exhausted and hungry, and he comes to the tabernacle, and he is nourished, and he is renewed by what? By the bread that was in the tabernacle that was supposed to be eaten only by the priest. But what is that bread called? It's the bread of the presence. And then Jesus reminds us that the priest works on the Sabbath day. Why did they work on the Sabbath day? Because their job was to connect the people of God to the presence of God. It's because Sabbath rest, the truest, deepest Sabbath rest, isn't the result of following some precise procedure. The deepest, fullest Sabbath rest is the result of being with the God who rested on the Sabbath day. It is the result of communing, of being in connection with his presence. And that's who Jesus is as the one who is greater than the temple. That's what Jesus is doing as the Lord of the Sabbath. He is not only in charge of interpreting the Sabbath, he is in charge of accomplishing the Sabbath. As one commentator says, Jesus here, this is not a relaxation of demand. This is the creation of a new relationship that makes the demand possible. Because he is God drawing near to his stumbling, failing people and saying, I will go with you. 
He is the full presence of the God who rested on the seventh day. I have a friend who my wife knows that I have spent time with this friend even if I haven't told her that I've spent time with this friend. Because we'll be talking and Jess will say, did you have lunch with Todd today? (laughs) Because when I come away from that time with that friend, I come away lighter, refreshed, renewed. Some of you have people like that in your life. When you're in their presence, your pulse calms. Your Your perspective brightens. Maybe the tension in your shoulder relaxes and you walk away from that time with them lighter, less burdened. How much better of a friend do we have in Jesus? Who not only teaches us to rest, but accomplishes that rest as he lays down his life for his friends. You see, Jesus' burden is light because he bears that burden with and for us. We can take up our crosses because he has taken up his cross. And so we can come to him Weary, exhausted, worn out, beaten down, running on empty. And we can find rest. We can come to him with that drained sense of dissatisfaction with the way things are. And we can find the full presence of the one who is making all things new. We can come tired because of those endless voices saying, not enough. You don't have enough. You haven't done enough. You aren't enough. We can find the rest of Jesus saying to us from the cross. It is finished. So come weary. Come heavy laden. Come worn out and beat down and running on empty. And find rest for your souls in the one who is with you.